Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Join me as we pray and seek the Lord while we open his word. The Holy Spirit will give us fresh revelation today as we share this time together. Join me as we pray. Father, we do thank you today for your word. And we believe, God, that your word changes our life, makes us wise unto salvation. It teaches us what it is to be set apart for you. We ask that you would consecrate our lives, Lord, as we read your word we pray that we could grow in the knowledge of our salvation and also the way it is that we should posture ourselves in these days. I pray that the words that have been written many years ago would come alive in our hearts and teach us how we are supposed to be in this present age. So instruct us by your Holy Spirit, encourage us and equip us, and I pray for you to bless everybody that joins us today, that we would know you better and we would walk with you more closely. We love you, Lord. Bless this time now, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to First Thessal or sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We were in 1 Thessalonians yesterday in the last few days, and we're going to be reading simply together. And I'm just going to make some observations, some thoughts that I have as I've read this and studied it this morning. But let's go ahead and begin 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 1, and here's what it says. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the churches of the Thessalonians and God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on the day and to be marveled to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you who has believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and for the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and that you and him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this again follows the conversation that Paul had previously had. In case you're not familiar with the church in Thessalonica, we know that Paul had helped to start these churches. Paul now is writing to them primarily because they are in the midst of suffering and persecution. He wants to encourage them to be steadfast. And also, he wants to correct some of their theology, which has caused 
some very serious concern and alarm, which we're going to read about in chapter 2. These people are very shaken as a result of false theology, falsehood, false prophecies, and let's just call it misinformation, which we are actually very um, which we're, we're actually very familiar with today in our world. They actually dealt with it as well. It just was disseminated in a different way. We have social media, we have uh, YouTube, we have lots of videos, we have all of these various ways of misinformation being spread. They didn't have those highways for that to happen, but they certainly had their own methods for misinformation and false theology to be spread. And Paul was concerned about that. Many of them were just knocked into a place of disillusionment wondering what in the world was happening. Um, as we're going to see from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that they had already been told that Jesus had returned, and so they're very confused about what's happening. And this was actually a very common thing in the early church. We read in some of Paul's writings that people were told things, basically like the end of the world was upon them. They live with a holy expectation that Jesus would return, and that was right and that was good. But people were pushing a narrative that Jesus had returned, people had missed it, or they were not aware of it. They started to give all kinds of conspiracy theories and false thoughts, and a lot of folks were buying into it because certainly they wanted to be with Jesus and things were so new to them that they didn't know what it was to believe. And Paul wants to reaffirm and remind them, hey, this is what we taught you. This is what you need to believe. This is what is true. Other things are false. And so here we have a lot of false stuff being spread. And isn't that fitting in this conversation today for the times in which we're living? I think we know how much falsehood is being spread today. And sometimes it can actually get us to a place where we're maybe not, if it's not fear, but it is like concern or worry or curiosity. Sometimes we can be preoccupied with and being curious about these various theories that are spinning around. But what it does is it, is it slowly erodes the truth that we know, the things that we know absolutely and for sure. And I'm actually going to bring some of those up today just because I figured why not. But let's actually read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and then I'll make some comments because I think both of these chapters go together now that we have a little bit of context together. And here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Some would call this the rapture. Um, that, that may or may not be the right term, but that's the term that people have used over the years. Verse 2, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter. These were the three ways that primarily they would receive false theology or misinformation. By a spirit, they were deceived some way. Um, by a letter, somebody wrote them something other than Paul or those that were affirmed and confirmed as apostles or by, um, by a message of some kind. This could have been spoken message, not, not written, because written would have been letter. Uh, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. We would call this the great falling away. There will be a great deception before Jesus Christ returns. Paul had already taught this, and now he's reaffirming this again. There will be a great falling away. Many who profess to be Christians will actually deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and this will be very apparent. This will be very public. And then he says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. We call this the Antichrist. 
the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God in Jerusalem, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know that what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. Sounds like the book of Revelation. That's really the reference here that it's going to be going to. And the, the Bible all harmonizes and works together. Scripture interprets Scripture, then the lawless none, the, then the, that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Verse 13, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith and truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to tr the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of your mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort, and, and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. And then he goes into, in chapter 3, which we'll talk about tomorrow, exhort them on how they are to live in light of not being distracted and distorted. Now, I want to make some points out of all this. We could get into some details, but I just want to make some very clear points about eschatology, end times, the coming of the Lord. Number one in chapter one, verses three, four, and five, Paul is saying very clearly, do not waste your suffering. These believers are going through suffering, verbal and physical persecution. They are facing persecution as a result of their faith in Christ, seeking to spread the gospel of Jesus, living in a way that is in keeping with the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching of Paul and the apostles. That is vital for us to remember. The suffering is not for any other reason other than them promoting the gospel of Jesus, living out in such a way where it's public, where it's clear that they are followers of the way. Not all were called Christians. They were a sect in that time. Many times they were called the way. They were following Jesus of Nazareth, right? So during that time, it was not an established religion called Christianity, which has been established over many years. We understand that Christianity, being disciples of Jesus, is not a religion. We believe it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but the world recognizes it as a religion. And Paul is saying, do not waste your suffering. When you suffer, you do so in a way that actually shows the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus was our example. This is not something that we need to, uh, we don't want to do this in a way that takes away our example. 
We want to make sure that when we experience persecution, when we're ridiculed, when we're reviled, when we're insulted, physically persecuted, when that happens, we, we, listen, we don't, we don't love that. We don't like that. We don't want that. But when it happens, we don't waste that. And that's what he's reminding them of. And he's saying that the, the just aspect of God, God is just. God is bringing about wrath. God is going to judge the whole world. And this is what he says. Look in verse five. He says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. What's he talking about? He's saying that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the world. And as you've gone through this, because of the name of Christ, it is just showing how just and righteous his judgment really is because people that do not bow their knee, confess Jesus Christ as Lord when the good news has been preached to them, when they've had a great example of the Lord Jesus, a people that although they were reviled, did not revile in return, although they were persecuted, did not persecute in return, when they've heard the good news and they've seen a good example, it shows that his righteous judgment is all the more righteous. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't waste your suffering because right now you're an example of the one you're following. What you say and how you live, how you position yourself, how you are in public, how you are around people, what what it is that you give in return for what it is that you're receiving, it shows that, that you're treating people in a manner, in keeping with the Lord Jesus, but you're not being an avenger and you're not taking revenge. And he actually goes on to say in verse six, seven, that God himself through Jesus is going to, he is going to be the avenger. He is going to have revenge if that's the right word, but God is the great avenger. God is the righteous judge. And we keep, we, we allow God as if we allow him, but we entrust to God our lives and whatever is just and righteous in response, we give that over to him. We do not have to take up our own um, our own vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do not waste your trials. Do not waste your suffering. This is what Paul wants to remind them of. Suffer in a way that is worthy of the kingdom that you're a part of. Now, let's ask the question today. Is that what we do? How much suffering have we experienced as a result of following Jesus Christ? What are we willing to go through? What are we willing to receive? What are we willing to walk out? What are we willing to, to do? How are we willing to walk in keeping with following Jesus Christ? See, the thing is, is that when we walk as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a committed disciple of the words and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to experience persecution. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be surprised. That's going to happen. That's the way that it is. And so how is it that we respond to that when it happens? Do we waste it? Do we complain about it? Do we try to get vengeance as a result of it? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves. If we're going to take a principle from what we're reading today, we have to realize that even in these times, these difficult times, these perilous times, these confusing times today that we're living in right now, this may not even be us suffering because we're being persecuted. That's on its way. That will happen. This is up and coming. But right now, we have to be willing to suffer well. We have to be willing to go through things without complaining and trying to somehow make it about us. That's not what it's about. It's about being worthy of the kingdom of God. 
And this is just one principle. The other principle that I see from this we find in verse 7. Christ will come back and Jesus Christ will judge. And I want to say this. He's going to judge the living and the dead, those who are alive and those that have already died. He's also going to judge the believer and the non-believer. And look what it says here in verse 7. We're reading in chapter 1. And to give relief to those who are afflicted, he's going to give relief because when he comes, he's going to take us out of that suffering. In other words, we don't have to take ourselves out of it. He's going to come and do that for us. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that says a lot of things. Number one, it says that people who do not obey, it means they've heard and somehow it has been revealed to them that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sometimes we have the question asked, you know, what's, is God going to judge those that have never heard the gospel? And that's a question that implies that people have never heard, and it implies that God has never sought to reveal himself to people. The fact is, I believe this wholeheartedly, that God is revealing to all humanity, every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every tongue, and every methodology, God is revealing himself through Jesus Christ to every people on the planet in his own way, not just the way that we preach the gospel, but God is revealing himself all across the world to every generation, to every person. And we're going to see what that looks like when we all meet with Jesus. We're going to see how that lays out. But what we know is there is a choice. Those that do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Paul's making it very clear. And remember, this isn't a Western world that he's talking in. He's, he's, this is a Hebrew talking. We're talking about an Eastern worldview here. We're talking about all the way back 2,000 years ago where Paul is saying this. The gospel is spread across the known world through generations, families, nations, languages. And that continues to happen either by revelation or by spoken word preaching and the Bible being translated into languages. God has a plan. We trust that God has a plan. That's how he's reaching us. That's how he's reaching other people across the world. So when we ask that question, what's God going to do for those that haven't heard, it implies that they haven't heard. It implies that God isn't reaching out to them. I don't believe that. I believe God is reaching out to everyone. But the second thing we read in this passage is that God is going to judge those who do not believe. And he goes on to say exactly what's going to happen. These will pay a penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The word eternal destruction is exactly what it means. Those that do not profess Jesus Christ as Lord, giving their hearts to him, repenting from their past, their self-willed ways, those that do not come to Christ are going to be judged eternally. What does that look like? What is that What is that going to be like? We, we don't know, but what we do know is they're shut out from the presence of the Lord. There is no return. There is no coming back. There, there is no post-mortem salvation. That doctrine is false. This idea that people have sometimes in universalism where all will be saved, or inclusionism. There's a, a doctrine out there that suggests that everybody's going to be with Jesus. That's not true. The Bible does not say that. The Bible right here clearly says, and at many other places, that this place that we call hell is eternal separation from God, and there is no change. There is no return. There is no second chance. There is no choice. Once we die, then we face the judgment, and we face the righteous judge, and he is righteous. 
God is the creator of heaven and earth. His decision is final. What he does is absolutely just and 100% right. We do not get to tell God what is right and what is true. And that's what man does. We are always trying to bring God into contempt. We are always trying to indict God on his decisions and his justice and what that means. God could scrap all of us right now. And I say this, I mean, honestly, with, with all humility, respectfully, God could do whatever he wants. He made us and he gets to choose the way that this goes. Whatever is justice is according to God. Whatever is love is according to the one that created and actually stipulates what love even means. This is what he has said. He has said he's going to, he's going to judge those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He's going to judge them eternally. This is serious. This is why we need to care about sharing the gospel. This is why we send missionaries around the world. This is why we fund church planting and discipleship. This is why the church cannot be about raffles and potlucks solely. We have to be about discipleship. We have to be about evangelism. We have to be about seeing the lost saved and disciples made. And if that is not our mission, then we are sticking our head in the sand, not caring about the eternal destruction of other people. God has sent us on a mission in following the Lord Jesus Christ to carry his message, to continue his ministry. And that's what the church is doing. We are a bright light in a dark world. We are bright and burning lamps in dark days. And we've got to renew our commitment to the gospel of Jesus. We've got to renew our commitment to the mission of the Lord Jesus. And if that's not what we're doing, then we're not doing what the Bible says. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm intense right now for a reason, because it baffles me that the church is called out together. They're called out of the world. They're gathered together, the gathering together of the Lord. We pull our resources together. We pull our gifts together. We pull our mind and our heart together. We gather around this book and we make known the Lord Jesus in the world. Why? Because people are going to go to an eternal destruction without Jesus and they will not have a second chance. And if that doesn't motivate us, I don't know what will. But we need to think about our loved ones. We need to think about our neighbors. We need to think about our enemies. We don't want anybody to perish without an opportunity to give their whole heart to Jesus Christ. This is the reason that we still have so much time. And I want to enjoy life like everyone else. I want to raise my kids. I want to have moments of joy and abundance. But people all over this world are not experiencing all of that. And they are giving their whole lives for the gospel of Jesus. Since people think, oh, Ben, that's radical. You know what's real? Here's reality. We are all going to die. And when we die, we don't have second choices. We don't have other chances. That's done. When we are gone, we are standing in front of the presence of the righteous judge, and either we have given our lives to him or we haven't. And in that day, when he passes out the rewards of the suffering which we have endured in his name, we will think about our life. There will be a moment of reckoning where every idle word that was spoken every wasted year that we've given, we are going to see that face to face. We are going to look in the mirror and we right now have moments where we get to change the way we live. We get to be concerned about what God's concerned about. We get to enter into the mission that he's given us, but let's not act like it's not what it is. Let's go ahead and look at the word and say, God is the righteous judge and everybody that does not give their lives to Jesus is actually going to be judged eternally. That's a very serious statement, but that's what we believe because it comes again and again and again in the Bible. And to, to believe less or to avoid this truth is gonna be destructive to our faith. 
And so Paul reminds them their suffering is not in vain, not only for their own lives, but they're giving a legitimate example and witness to the world around them. Their light is burning bright because of the way that they are suffering, because people that hear about Jesus and they see the life of Jesus in those of us that suffer or receive persecution, whether it's verbal or physical, he's saying that that actually makes God's righteous judgment all the more plain for those that are seeing it. Now, this is so important that we get this down. And we see that in the last days, this becomes more and more important for us to realize what is actually at stake. He goes on to chapter two here. Now we request brethren with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, I talked to you about the coming, the parousia of God, that, that Jesus is actually coming. He is on his way. His presence is increasing. His plan is unfolding. That is happening right now. We all wanna know the day and we want to know the hour, maybe so that we would repent in that very last moment and act like uh, the wasting of our life didn't matter that much. The fact is we know he's coming. Paul's, Paul's words, Paul's letters, and the Bible itself actually is all we need to know. It's what we've been given to read and study and understand, but we want to live in a way where we are waiting for, expecting for his return. And he goes on to say, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit, a message, a letter, as if it's from us, saying that it's not, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. This, these believers have been told that Jesus had returned, and so they were shaken. Here's what was happening. People were spinning false information, letters, messages, preaching, all of that, false prophets, false teachers. And I want to say this right now. This has been going on for 2,000 years. Jesus said that he was going to return. Jesus told us what was going to happen when he returns. And people even today spread false information, misinformation, false prophecies, and false teaching. Remember, he states it very clearly. There's some things that are going to happen. Number one, there is going to be a massive apostasy and it will be public. It will be evident. It will not be, oh, here's where this is happening. And what about this little thing? Everybody's always trying to figure it out, almost like it's a secret. And we wouldn't know. Those that are sons of the light, those that are that are men and women of God, those that are full of the Holy Spirit, like we're not going to see it. It is going to be public. It is going to be clear. Okay, sometimes people talk about the mark of the beast, like we're going to take some chip and all of a sudden, we don't have our salvation anymore. Let me just go ahead and stomp that idea. Ladies and gentlemen, if we take a credit card so that we can buy or sell, and then we all of a sudden realize that we've pledged our allegiance to the world system, and now we're not his, that's not the way that this is going to work. If we take the mark of the beast, and we follow the lawless one, we're talking about the Antichrist, we are going to have to renounce our faith. There is going to be a great falling away. Stop looking at these RFID chips and some kind of credit card as if we can be deceived and we lose our salvation doctrine. We are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. We cannot have hundreds of verses on what salvation is and then have some cryptic verse in the Bible about the mark of the beast and worry about that. 
where people are actually spelling out the number of Corona. And they've been doing this for years and years and years. People are always looking for this secretive cryptic code that everybody else is going to be deceived by. And they're the ones that are the dummies and listen to my teaching, watch my video, read my book. And guess what? These paid people are making millions of dollars. They're getting millions of views. All the while, we are getting dumber and dumber as a result of it because we're not believing what is plain in the Bible. What is plain in the Bible is there's going to be an apostasy, a great public falling away, a renouncing of faith in Jesus. If you don't renounce your faith in Jesus, you are going to be with Jesus forever. Do not be worried. They were alarmed. They were concerned because people lied to them. People told them something had happened when it hadn't happened. People told them that Jesus had returned and he had not returned. And Paul says, don't you remember the plain teaching? It's kind of like he slaps them and says, don't listen to all these other people. And that's what is happening today. That is what's been happening for years is that, it, and it's almost embarrassing. We've got to stop believing lies. We've got to stop believing conspiracy theories. We've got to stop believing things that are, that are secretive, that nobody else knows but me. Yeah, nobody else knows but you because it's not true. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. And so when people send me this stuff, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't spend my time reading it because I'm reading what is true. I'm believing what is true. He goes on to say that there will be all of this stirring. There will be messages. There will be letters. There will be false prophets and false teachers. Don't let anyone deceive you. Be on your guard. Be cautious. Know that you have the truth and people are going to lie. Even out of curiosity, some people it's out of, what do you think about this? I don't think about this. It's what I think about this. It's not what I think about what's spinning around. I have no clue about that. And I don't even have the time to focus on it. And nor do you. There's going to be a great apostasy and there's going to be an antichrist revealed. We're always trying to figure it out. I've gotten emails about Bill Gates. And before that, it was, I mean, I'm old enough to remember it was George Bush and then it was Obama and now it's Bill Gates and on and on and on. This is what we do. Guys, we are not going to be deceived. The antichrist is going to step into the limelight. It is going to be very clear who this person is to those of us that believe. But what are we doing with the knowledge of the God? gospel that we have right now? Are we sharing with people that do not know and have not obeyed the gospel? Are we sharing with those that are going to be judged eternally and destroyed? Or are we, sp are we spinning conspiracy theories around our circles when we already know what's going to happen? We know the end we know what's going to happen. We know the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. We will not be confused about that. We will be asked to renounce our faith in Jesus. And we are going to say, no, it's not just about a chip or a credit card. It is about renouncing our allegiance to Jesus. That's called the great falling away. Do not be deceived about this. You will not be mistaken unless you're not in Christ. So if you're in Christ, and you're following Jesus, that's what you need to remember. And Paul is just knocking out all of these lies and falsehoods that people are believing because the conspiracy theories are being sent around and around. And that's what's happening today. And I, you, you can tell I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it because we continue to fall for it when we have plain teaching of scripture. It's as though somehow we're going to miss it. They were alarmed, we get alarmed. And I just want to knock that stuff out. I'm not shaking at all. 
I'm not afraid at all. Why? Because I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. I know that Jesus came and he's not trying to, he's, he's not putting together some cosmic puzzle that we're trying to figure out. He makes it clear to us. The Spirit of God lives inside believers and cries out, Abba, Father, Father, a loving Father is not going to confuse His people. And for some reason, we allow other people to act like God isn't who we know Him to be. That God isn't the loving Father that we preach that He is, that the Bible shows that He is. A Father that would do so much to pull back lost sons and daughters, that he would give his one and only son, that Jesus would suffer and go through all that he did. And then at the end times, he's like, well, I'm going to kind of change the game now and I'm going to confuse the heck out of these believers and see who can figure it out. And I wonder who's going to be able to put the puzzle together. It's craziness. It is craziness to all of a sudden have this cryptic filter of which we see God through where only some people know the secrets. Whenever people talk like that, I honestly, I start to shut down. And listen, you judge for yourself. This is just me sharing my thoughts. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to believe what I'm saying, but you and I are responsible for what we believe in this book. And Paul is talking to a generation of people that have been lied to, that have heard the conspiracy theories. They've watched the videos. They continue to get a little concerned and worried. He says, don't be worried. Don't be worried. The apostasy has yet, hasn't yet happened. You're going to see it. It will be public. It will be evident. The man of lawlessness has not been revealed. He's going to come with false signs and wonders. And we're always trying to like interpret that false signs and wonders. Maybe that's going to be like, you know, Bill Gates's budget. Maybe that's going to be like the, the, the money where he's going to come up with like almost like this miraculous cure to this thing or that. Stop. Stop. Stop thinking that way. Stop believing those people. We're talking about actual false signs and wonders. We're talking about a miraculous delusion. We're talking about it will be so clear to believers who are close to Jesus that we will not be looking at each other going, do you think? Do you think? We will know. Paul is telling the Thessalonians, you will know. You will not be deceived, but the delusion will come over those that do not believe. The delusion will come to those that do not know Jesus. The delusion will come over the minds and the hearts of those that have not come into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ through his precious blood. That will happen, but it will not happen to those of us that are sons and daughters of the light, those of us that follow the Lord Jesus. And let's stop listening to the things that are, you know, we're gonna look back on this time, this pandemic that we're in right now, and we're going to remember, just like they did in the 80s and the 90s and all the books that were written, all the videos that were produced, all the documentaries that were going around, we're going to look back and we're going to remember this time. And I know there are all kinds of people that are saying all kinds of things. I've been a Christian 21 years and I've already seen prophets prophesy all kinds of things that have not come to pass. And most of the time, we don't even get apologies from those people. Listen, we've got the word for a reason. God gave us his holy word for a very clear reason. And one of them is to judge prophecy. Or maybe people aren't calling it prophecy. They're just calling it teaching. False prophecy, false teaching. It doesn't always necessitate a false prophet or a false teacher. But even believers can actually make this stuff go around and around and around. And we've got to stop doing it. And Paul's just like, hey, we should always give thanks, brethren, uh, Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in, in the truth. It was for he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm. 
and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or letter. <laughs> That's what we need to hear right now. Don't forget the truth. Don't forget what you were taught. All right, steadfast, remain steadfast in the truth. We should not have some strange end times theology that doesn't make any sense to us. And all of a sudden, we, we re-up our end times theology in a time where we're all scared. We do not have anything to be scared about. We can be concerned about what's going to happen in the world around us, but we've got a mission. We've got a message. We are following Jesus and do not be alarmed. Do not be concerned. Do not be worried. He holds us in his hand. What I'm worried and concerned about is the people that have not given their lives to Jesus. That's the concern that Paul says we ought to have because they will be judged and it will be eternal. It will have a sense of finality and there will be no second chances. That's what you and I are concerned about when we enter into the end times, which we could be in right now. I don't know. But as we are in the end times, the last days, what we are most concerned about is bringing the greatest and most glory to God and sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus so that everyone will come face to face with Jesus Christ and he will say to them, enter into my kingdom, good and faithful servant. That's our concern for the times that we're living in. And I'm saying for the rest of us, if we need to be built up, if we need to be encouraged, let's pray for one another. Just like Paul said, I pray for you that you would be steadfast, that you would be strong, that you would be focused, that you would suffer well, that you would realize it's proving that you are worthy of the kingdom. And when the just judge comes, his vengeance, his wrath, his justice will be all the more clear as to who he is and what he did and why he did it. Let's go ahead and live our lives in keeping with the truth and not let ourselves be deceived by anybody or anything, no matter how well-meaning they are, no matter how nice it sounds, no matter how curious we might be, let's not allow ourselves to be knocked out of the truth because we know what is true. Read this book, study this book. To me, it's very clear. Maybe I've made it overly simple, but that's how I feel that it is. But really, what we wanna do is come to a place of prayer as we enter into these times, as we live in the day in which we're living. Let's go ahead and pray and let's ask God to keep us strong, steadfast, and to remind one another that we're all about what Jesus was about. Let's do that today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you today for your word. And God, I just am so grateful that as we read and study it today, we know that while everybody else is spinning and stirring, we can be steadfast. While everybody else is focused on what does this mean and what does that mean, the reality is we know what you're about. We know what you're doing. We know what you want us to, to do. And God, we just repent where we haven't been doing that. We repent, Lord, where we haven't taken on your burden and we've taken on our own worry and concern. Lord, we look at the Thessalonians and we admit, Lord, sometimes we can be like that. We can allow the controversies. We can allow the teachings, the things that that are get... They go throughout our community. They get sent to us from all different places. And Lord, we just admit we can, out of curiosity, out of fear or otherwise, we can sometimes stop focusing on your word. And I just pray, God, that you would refocus us, reset us right now, that we would be fixed, that we would be steadfast, that we would be clear about what your word says, that we will not be deceived. If we are in Christ, our salvation is in you. It is not in anything else but you. And I pray, God, that we would be people 
who would continue to encourage others. We would be people that continue to lead others to Christ. Help us to do that, even now more than ever before, to continue your ministry and your mission with your message. Father, we love you and we pray, God, today that you would silence the controversy, that you would silence the curiosity, and you would give us our conviction, our conviction to see souls saved and disciples made. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.